Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash godisgray. Now, on to the episode. Sarah Hartland is our guest of honor. She works in marketing for Pure Flix, which is like the Christian Netflix. I think a lot of agnostic atheists won't really know what Pure Flix is, what is the shack. It's like Christian entertainment section of the world. Sure. Yeah. Well, they don't know it outside of, you know, blatantly making fun of it. Uh, I think that Christian film sort of came into the mainstream on the mainstream radar with uh, God's Not Dead, which is the movie that Pure Flix is most well known for. Yeah. And I think I only knew of it because it came out on Netflix as well. Right. PureFlix.com didn't exist when God's Not Dead, the film came out. So okay. that's why it's on Netflix and not PureFlix.com at gotcha. the moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all that to say, you know, it, that film is the fifth most profitable film in movie history. Which is insane because Christian films prior to that, uh, with the exception of, you know, maybe Passion of the Christ, were rarely even theatricals. They they were straight to VHS yeah. <laughs> features. I think Jurassic Park is up on that list too. But big, big films that you would know of. And then number five is God's Not Dead, this little indie film with a, you know, $2 million budget that just made this huge profit in the box office that nobody predicted. I should say, you know, these are my opinions. They don't reflect <laughs> any ahead, official yeah, pure flick stances. <laughs> you love it or hate it, it's undeniable that it struck a chord with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So um, that kind of put pure flicks on the map. And I think it also put Christian film on the radar of non-believers um and just like secular hollywood they kind of scratch their heads and are like what is going on totally yeah so i haven't seen this movie but i despise christian movies because they have an agenda and i think that makes them inherently bad stories so let me just i'm representing the other side of that but let me just <laughs> well, read from the box office because i'm very have, interested yeah. in this i got yeah. very interested so the film became a this is according to wikipedia this the film became a surprise success at the box office and its first weekend of release the film earned 8.6 million from 780 theaters. It made 60 million in North America and it made in other territories a total for 64.7 million against a budget of 2 million. It's not it's not highest grossing. It's not the highest number in the box office. That would be absurd to say that 60 million is. But um compared to how much it cost to make the 2 million dollar budget, yeah. But the interesting thing about Christian films is they are many would say, undeniably bad. They never do well with critics, um, with some notable exceptions. But generally speaking, they do terrible with critics. Audience reviews are not that great. And somehow they continue to be profitable um, in an industry where it's very hard to turn a profit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that really speaks to 
the Christian audience and how willing they are to step up with their dollars and support the cause, whether it's their most favorite movie or even an entertaining movie yeah, totally. in the first place. Well, yeah. So just for a little backstory, Sarah and I found each other when she emailed me through God is Gray, the YouTube channel. And I was really surprised to hear from you because I felt like I was getting like an insider email from like, (laughs) not the other side. I'm on that side as well. But like, yeah, it was just fascinating to hear from you and, and find that my like progressive stance resonated with someone that's in that, you know, section of the world. Yeah. And what I would see is like, someone that I might not be able to relate to. So you're kind of presenting a much more progressive stance than I realized would be in existence in a place that's producing such like heavy handed agendaed films that, you know, don't have the nuance that you obviously reflect as a person just in like the little conversations we've had. Right. Well, you know, Brenda, I, through working for Pure Flix, sort of became fascinated with Christians on the internet and why they behave the way they do. <laughs> um, Meaning I mean, what? We, well, we have a, a Facebook page with almost one and a half million followers. And so, you know, we post anything and there are dozens of comments and they range from very nice and very sweet and very Christian to um, offense at the drop of a hat and that's very interesting but on the flip side of that I became more interested in the other side of Christians on the internet like your channel um Kevin McCurry from say goodnight Kevin is great blimey cow you know the 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 comedic take on conservative Christianity you know and as a whole just started to reach out and and um understand that community on both sides of I don't know if you could say both sides of Christianity, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that came from for me is just I really appreciated this like alternative um, perspective that you were offering that still like that was a big thing that I came away with after going to one of the most conservative Christian colleges in the country, Colorado Christian University. Yeah. Was, hey, like there are all these people who know the Bible a lot better than me who completely disagree with one another and clearly love the Lord, who am I to say who's right and who's wrong? And why do I get so caught up in love that. these nitpicky theological issues? Yeah. Um, well, I want to, I would love to hear more about that. Like, what does it look like to go to one of the most conservative Christian colleges in the United States? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you grew up Christian. I, I did. I grew up in Salt Lake City. So I grew up in a, in a Mormon state in a Baptist church, in a Lutheran school, then in a Catholic school. Okay. Then I dated a Pentecostal, <laughs> uh, you know, speak in tongues and shout his praises, Pentecostal. Um, you know, going to hell for not uh, cutting, for cutting my hair, Pentecostal. Oh, wow. Uh, and then ended up at CCU, um, actually because I was politically conservative. Okay. So at the time, I picked that school. I could have gone a lot of places but that was the school I picked from the time I was like 16 I knew I wanted to go to CCU wow um which is insane (laughs) (laughs) any high school students listening visit multiple colleges (laughs) don't just decide that you know what you want because you 
Well, did you read that article that just came out from that girl? The God, what is her name? The article is like men prefer virgins without debt and no tattoos. (laughs) It's not an un. There's plenty of them at CCU. Um, What publication was this? This is this is not a publication. This is a girl. Actually, another one of my YouTube uh, friends sent me this. It's terrible. This girl just came out. Apparently, she's like doing well as a Christian. um, What's it called? Like a Christian blogger. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to find it as quickly as possible. It's terrible. It's so damaging. It's called Men Prefer Debt-Free Virgins Without Tattoos. And I put it on my Facebook and said, this is not an Onion article. <laughs> it's from the transformedwife.com. This cute, slim, blonde girl who presumably... Probably got married at like 18. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's ter- it's just talking about how college brings debt, which is very unattractive to men and not biblically yeah, how, how sound. Yeah. Well, how about yeah. debt is not attractive to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> it's not attractive to me and I have it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a total aside, but it's crazy. I mean, just because you were saying, hey, Christian girls thinking about going well, to college Christian to look girls, at many. Christian girls going to college um, don't be going there to find a husband. Well, yeah, because <laughs> that's a CCU thing. Um, Is it? Yeah. But yeah, I, I actually was interested in that school specifically because I was conservatively political, uh, oh, con- politically conservative. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about getting up at 3 a.m., Joe. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I flew in this morning. But I participated in the Western Conservative Summit for like eight years, was just very involved. And I got there as a political science major. Um, I had transferred in from a community college because I didn't want to spend private school tuition on gen eds. I took two classes in political science, realized, gee, I don't want to make $30,000 a year being a lobbyist. (laughs) And so I switched to business and then was like, well, I'm stuck at CCU because I had to finish my residency requirements. Oh, wow. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of good things about CCU, like compared to like, I don't know, Pensacola Christian College or like some extremes where there's a million rules and there's no grace. CCU is not the worst of the worst. okay? Um, and I would never say that I had a horrible experience, but there is something that happens to Christians when they are in the bubble. And it is like this group think where they like people collectively decide how you should live and how you should look and behave and think that becomes really dangerous because it's not just like major things like hey you probably shouldn't steal or you probably shouldn't like cheat people um it's things like campaigning viciously against gay marriage or um firing theology faculty members who are more left of center and so you know I went into this school my first semester being an extreme creationist you know Ken Ham answers in Genesis six day creation story (laughs) and came home for Thanksgiving break that semester and said hey mom I believe in evolution (laughs) but that like dramatically shifted from the the first semester I entered CCU where I was like oh this could be really cool to the time I left totally burnt out and feeling like wow this is just a solid color of one thing and that's not how I was seeing the world anymore how do you think you were overcoming that group think 
Um, I went through a really vicious breakup four weeks before graduation, and I really think it, like, saved my soul. <laughs> um, <clears throat> is this, can I ask, is this someone you were having sex with no okay no. so you were you were doing everything by the book at this point well in my see i was doing it um i think a lawyer would say by the book i was exploiting every loophole available <laughs> to me as abstinence uh practicers often do yeah <laughs> but no we weren't sleeping together i did think I was going to marry this guy because that's CCU, you know, is ring by spring. Meet him in the fall, marry him in the spring. And that's... I've never heard that before. Ring by spring. Really? No. Well, okay. So this is like, okay, there's the um, people that grew up Christian and we like have this level of understanding. Then there are the people that went to Christian colleges and we have like our own like slang. Ring by spring is one of those where people and, you know, CCU um, is like 60% women. Oh, so a little battle for the 40. <laughs> Most of the guys end up getting married. Yeah. I thought for sure that though, that this is the guy I was going to marry. Um, and interestingly, his politics and theology were way more conservative than mine, even from the very beginning. And I think I was trying to like make myself more conservative to sort of fit that mold. He actually, his father um, ghost wrote and, was one of the executive producers on the movie for The Shack. Mm -hmm. So some of your listeners will know <laughs> that best-selling novel. Yes, this is more Christian <laughs> literature. Christian yeah, movie. which actually has like a very progressive view of God and how God manifests, but a very like narrow theology in like actually living life. Um, I'm curious, what was the most painful thing spiritually did you feel you like you were abstaining from? Like when you were, quote, trying to be more conservative, what was rubbing you wrong the most? Well, I, I just had a really hard time um, with being told that my forms of worship had to conform to a certain set of standards. So a Pentecostal theology or even just like charismatic theology that doesn't label itself as Pentecostal, which was this instance, focuses very heavily on like feelings and things like speaking in tongues and prophecy. And so when I was dating someone who told me he was a prophet from God, literally, <laughs> you know, some people will think I'm exaggerating. No, like literally this person thought he was sent by God god to like save america <laughs> well that's funny you say that because i was just remembering um when i was going to my youth group in jersey um they used to quote i believe it's isaiah a lot that like you will be a prophet to the nations and so many of us as teenagers got this message and thought that it meant we we're all supposed to be famous essentially <laughs> like a part of why i moved if to los angeles a prophet nobody is exactly right? <laughs> and like part of why i moved to los angeles was because like i'm like medium good at acting i'm like the lead in all the school plays but obviously my destiny is to become a movie star and be a prophet to the nations like right. Yeah. So well, and we so badly like misunderstand what the word prophet even means. Um, How would you describe it as a real thing? I think it just means truth teller. I think it's like the literal translation. And I might be wrong, so we should fact check. That. Interesting, considering the political climate. No, <laughs> shut up. I'm gonna edit you out of this one. I agree. No, I, I don't think a go truth political. teller is an excellent description of what a prophet is. <laughs> Someone who tells the truth, and I think the truth is important. I agree with you. Yes. Well. But that's an, just an example of like a word that was used 
in the original, you know, translations of the Bible and we just like make it mean whatever we want it to mean. And then that can become a very spiritually manipulative, oppressive thing. So to have somebody tell me like, you're like he this person literally ended our relationship because you need some time to grow closer to God and hear his voice and you know he wanted me to speak in tongues and basically like just there were a litany of things right whereas like the the relationship finally ended with me giving him a letter of like here's the things that I did wrong and need to do better and the things that we can fix and his letter to me was twice as long and it was yes here are the things you need to fix wow and it was just so indicative of like that but finally being able to see it for what it was I think really got me out of oppressing myself Mm. thinking that my spirituality had to be like this checklist of things I had to do to you know, I said it was to please God. It was really to please him. <laughs> yeah, totally. But either way, you know, not a good place to be. And so it was one of those things that's horrible and heartbreaking and awful, but I'm so grateful for. I mean, I think everybody needs to have their heart broken in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But um, spiritually, it set me off on, I think, a really positive journey, ultimately. And I never expected that after that, when I kind of was like, okay, I'm done with the church thing. I'm done with all this. That I then ended up later on at Pure Flix. You know, the pendulum swings both ways. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the... uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. But it sounds like there's a lot of people in your world that are progressive thinkers. You were telling me there is a generational gap for sure between people being progressive and more conservative in that place. At Pureflix? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say there is a clear generation gap. Um, A lot of the employees are younger and a lot of the executives are older, which is not to say like right and wrong or necessarily to even point out a negative thing but it's just to say there is a different perspective on what culture means because I hear all the time especially from our audience which which tends to be older I think on Facebook you know when you can look into the demographics women between like 45 and 65 is like our biggest audience they they tend to be um the type of people that lament where our culture has gone Whereas you and I might say, hey, like our culture has its issues, but look how much more inclusive we are. Look how much more compassionate we are. And we have the ability, I think, um, as 
you know, millennials and whatever to accept that culture is more loose and more diverse and it doesn't scare us in the same way that it does, you know, our parents or our grandparents' generation. And so there's a little bit of that happening at PureFlix where I think, um, you know, my stance is PureFlix as a tool, pureflix.com where I work, is a really great thing. I think families need a place where they can find content that's clean, that doesn't have language or sexual content or gory violence. Because Because it's not all Christian. It's just anything. It's a place where families can go and they're promised that there's not going to be. Yeah, We've sort of staked our claim in like the Christian genre, (laughs) thanks to our affiliation with Pure Flix, the movie studio, Mm -hmm. Um, which, by the way, they're venturing into non-Christian films now, too. Um, that's like a whole other thing. They're, they're <laughs> trying to like go veer off into just family friendly stuff, which will be interesting experiment. But I do think that there's a need for that. And I would like to see more of that happen. And I think that a lot of people agree. A lot of people are at Pure Flix. You know, there's people who like think it's their God given mission to like change Hollywood because, Apparently, like I think some people think somehow our movies are going to make all of Hollywood become <laughs> Christian or something. I, know. I don't know. Well, the, the thing I always have such a massive problem with is us versus them. Right. And, exactly. And there's so much of that. It's this like Christian entertainment <laughs> versus um, the, the rest of the world. And I remember it always rubbed me the wrong way because I loved rap music and Depeche Mode and whatever. And like I threw all my cds in the trash at a certain point when i was a kid and then i'm listening to christian music and it's terrible and i'm like could that be because we're not like allowed to actually listen to music that is beautiful and like real and and successful and it makes our work less well it's like a cheap copy of like secular art and it's unfortunate because you know the secular entertainment industry has a lot more resources than you know anytime you try and veer off into your own niche you're gonna be isolated and not have as many resources and that i won't make a judgment call on it but it it definitely presents a a greater sense of challenge. And so we see this in like the Christian music industry, right? Of like, you know, Christian rap just ends up feeling like a cheap copy of secular rap Mm -hmm. when what we really need is, you know, C.S. Lewis said it so perfectly. We don't don't need um, more Christian writing. We need more writers who are Christian. Like just do your craft and be who you are. And if you love the Lord, it's going to shine through. Yeah. And I think that there's sort of both of those at play at Pure Flix, which is encouraging to me. And it's like, look, as the audience changes, because there's a big difference, there's a big generation gap, not just at Pure Flix, but in the entire country right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Not to be morbid, but those people are going to (laughs) die. And eventually we'll be the old ones. And like the culture just is going to change. This is what happens every generation. Like we we act as if a like boomer millennial thing is like some new thing. We have cutesy slang for it now. But that happens every every time culture evolves. That happens. Um, And Christian film is going to change right along with it. I think that because we have so much access through streaming video and, you know, Netflix, Hulu, and all the originals. And we just have so much access to good storytelling. I think we're not going to tolerate poor storytelling in the future. And that's what I'm excited for. Because there are really powerful spiritual stories 
that are not full of tropes or beating you over the head with the Bible or propaganda or, you know, have a, don't have a political message. They're just good stories that happen to have a faith element to them. And I think we're going to end up moving in that direction did, more. Did anyone more. see The Leftovers? Did anybody watch that? Yeah. I felt like, to me, look, I'm kind of a cynic. I tend to have a real chip on my shoulder about stuff. And it's because I came, I've seen so much Christian art getting made. And then, like, instead of rewrites, I saw, like, prayer meetings and stuff. And, like, <laughs> that is real frustrating. Yeah. But um, I felt like The Leftovers was the closest thing I'd seen to a successful, like, faith-based entertainment yeah. that was, like, still real and it wasn't ignoring huge slices of life because this is, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to talk much. I'm no, not going to say fine. much. Stop but this is what bothers me about, I think, Christian entertainment is it lops off truth that exists in our world. Mm. Like, we're all here right now, not because of perfect marriages. We're all here because people, like, had sex outside of marriage and in all different weird ways. <laughs> <laughs> and right. that's how we got here, like... Uh, yeah, pretending I don't know. that I, I, t- I tend to be oh. a little annoyed about that because I think it's trying to like rewrite sort of Life history and why we're Let's here, yeah. and it makes it. people who didn't come from this perfect background feel like they're something other or different well, or weird. Or, <laughs> or then you have the the opposite, right? Where there's there are Christian filmmakers who are like, well, I'm going to have cussing in my Christian movie and I'm going to make it hard. But then it doesn't come across as real. It just comes yeah. across as like horribly corny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, really, it shouldn't be that hard to just be real and vulnerable. And the other issue though, Joe, yeah. and this is what, this is why I say like the audience is so important. Like you kind of like say what you want with the way you spend your money, right? Um, the movies, the Christian movies that are closer to getting it right, um, Case for Christ, everyone I know who has seen that movie, even people who are really bitter about Christian movies, is like, okay, it looks and feels like a movie that was entertaining. And it is like a very like faith-driven, it's least trouble story. So it's, it's, it's very much overtly Christian movie. But it like looks really good and it, it was written well and the acting is authentic. Or um, even... Uh, God's Not Dead, A Light and Darkness, which is the third movie, compared to the first two, which come across as like a little bit of propaganda and they're just like, they they like definitely struck a chord with people. The third one takes a much softer tone and basically the message of it is if we're really Christians, then we should lay down our arms and love people instead of like, I'm going to fight for God, which are like really the first two movies. So, you know, what I've seen over and over and over again on movies that we've made, on movies that we've just licensed and that I've been exposed to through that, the ones that I think get get it more right, in my view, don't do as well in the box office. Why? Because they're not controversial. And they're not, mm. you know, they're not a rallying cry. And so it's it's a complicated thing. I mm-hmm. think we're at a crossroads right now, right? The easy thing to do, especially after God's Not Dead's crazy success, is to make a Christian propaganda movie that people have a nice hashtag for and a rallying cry song and can really like get behind, even if it's extreme, because that's going to make the money. And, you know... Christian filmmaking is not immune from that. It's still a business. Yeah, because it's a business. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember, to your point about The Leftovers, when I was 
married and I'd like I'd done everything by the book as best as I could and I was a goody goody but me and my husband went to see Black Snake Moan and I remember when we left that movie he was like that's a movie you would write and I really liked it because I've always been a writer but I've always seen the nuance and complication in life and I've always perceived that like the adventure of going on with like you the adventure you go on with God is all about reality and facing these challenges and not everything being so simple and that story looked like redemption it was a girl that was like a sex addict that was in you know dire straits and like in a lot of pain and agony in her life he finds her on the side of the road and obviously it's not something I would recommend anyone do but when he like chains her up it's not a sexual thing it's him desperately trying to redeem this girl and Mm -hmm. help her like become whole again and figure out you know what she wants to be in this life and and then even then it has a very realistic ending it was not happily ever after it's like Mm -hmm. oh that's still going to be a disaster because she (laughs) hasn't been like healed to her core and she there's still so many problems but at the end of the day, it's still to me reflected like the heart of God. And it's just like you're saying, like, unfortunately, in the us versus them mentality, like it would be amazing if we could take on C.S. Lewis's approach. Me as a Christian and an artist, I would love I already did write like a show version of the novel that I wrote. And neither of them are Christian. They're full of like sex and drugs and all of the confusion that a human being goes through. But I would still label them Christian because they're written by a Christian that's dealing with her Christianity. Right, right. I, I actually, I used to be very judgmental of pastors who would take pop culture and like weave them into their sermons because, you know, the way I was raised, that's trying to make the bible trendy and the bible doesn't need to be trendy and <laughs> yeah you know that whole narrative but i actually think it's really clever um right to use uh, star wars or lord of the rings or whatever thing it is it usually tends to be the, the geekier <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right but then extrapolating christian principles and using those illustrations and relying on like things that people know and stories they relate to rather than trying to create a new narrative that they'll that will you know ignite their imagination and that they can relate to and understand um so storytelling is really powerful jesus told stories for a reason i know and it's also so limiting to be like god can't speak to you through art if it's not christian like you're telling me i can you know if i hear like a certain bjork song or something it can make me like cry and fall to my knees because it's like ethereal like so many artists create art by tapping into what i would perceive to be the voice of god like Mm -hmm. when you're creating something really beautiful if you hear about like how frankenstein was written and she just like essentially blacked out and like came to and this book was in front of her like that happens to different artists and you're like well what is that it's something outside of you and that could definitely be probably good or evil but if someone is coming with like pure intentions and creating beautiful music I don't think that's created like solely by a human being, in my opinion. I think you are aligned with something of the other realm, of something more beautiful and higher. So I hate that we cast aside art in the Christian community and pretend that God can't have his voice infused. We really put God in a box. Seriously, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Joe, you've been really 
just oh you, you just called yourself a cynic i <laughs> tend to be like i try to be positive but i tend to be a little bit cynical about the, <laughs> these topics still i think it's safe <laughs> and you know you know but so i i think that that's been heard in all of our tones but i think on the flip side it's also important for people who didn't grow up this way and are just like oh those awful crazy christians i think it's important to understand like why christians resonate with a movie like god's not dead expand right? on that so I think first of all first of all the plot for anybody that doesn't know i mean you could watch um say goodnight kevin's review on youtube because he's hilarious and <laughs> it'll be worth it but basically the plot is a kid on a college campus who um basically gets makes a bet with his college professor that he can prove that god exists his like cynical uh bitter atheist terrible person like stereotype <laughs> yeah yeah professor because atheists are always terrible people in christian movies we all know that <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so then it's like a series of debates in class where it's like you know thomas aquinas and the five proofs and all the cliche arguments for god's existence that we've that the, anyone who's struggled with this topic has probably heard before at the end of the movie the professor becomes a christian and then he like dies in a car wreck or something <laughs> And he becomes Christian because it turned out he wasn't Christian because his father died when he his, was younger. Yeah, or something. somebody in his family died of cancer. So really, he to sorry me, sorry to like, give up the plot. <laughs> if you're bitter about if like your bitterness about God is why you say you're an atheist, you're not really an atheist because you if you don't believe in God, you wouldn't be bitter at, at something that doesn't exist. But that's a whole other gotcha personal okay. <laughs> opinion there. But. So a, a film like this that literally is setting out to like prove to the audience, really, God is not dead and you should believe in him and yeah, um, why in the world would that resonate with Christians today? Well, you know, this country is historically very white and very Christian. And so when that's been the dominant narrative for so much of our history and now that's slowly changing, that's really threatening and scary to people who genuinely believe that not only is this their personally held belief, but like this is the safest place for culture to be. Mm. Like these people are not out to like ruin lives or like tell people that they're terrible. Usually, You know, a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons, which is not Christian. Well, Freemason is not. I'm not saying that our nation was founded as a Christian nation or anything. It's just historically Although the I, culture has yeah, been Christian. I've sure. been taught that One, forever. I, that it was founded yeah. totally. as a Christian nation. I, I totally agree with that, though. The culture right. is predominantly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and Freemasonry is not a religion. But, how, but that's a whole other thing. How is someone <laughs> that is, you know, mixed race or LGBTQ right. or whatever not to hate on people for being like, a white Christian person that's angry that they're making progress. Like, how can we not have that us men like versus them mentality? Because if they're threatened, and I would fall in that category, I'm a white blonde girl. Like, if right. I'm threatened by that, how can I not be offensive? That's that is offensive. What changed my mind the most coming from that worldview and never wanting to be mean or rude to people, but also being a very confrontational, you know, national debate champion that would just take people down because I just thought it was fun. <laughs> um, the thing that changed my mind more than research, more than looking into it was having people befriend me that were very different from me. Mm, this key. is the first time in my life where I have friends who are trans and I have friends who are gay and I have an entire group of friends at this point. Um, not to pat myself on the back because that's not what I'm doing, but just where I am the only white American in that group. That has never happened to me before in my life. And for most of this 
group of people of, you know, conservative Christians, that's probably the case. They've probably never had an atheist friend. They've probably never had a diverse group of friends. Yeah. So if you're on the outside being like, wow, like this person, like these people are so terrible. Friendship is the most powerful way to change people's opinions on both sides and we forget that like you also have to recognize like if you grew up this way and that is your worldview that's how you see the world the only way that that changes is when you start to enjoy things that don't fit into that worldview and all of a sudden you being poisoned by the world (laughs) if you have if you're accepting these trans friends and you know people from different backgrounds it, it happens slowly and you know if it had if I had jumped into this community from where I was then it would have been like I don't think I would have thought I would have was being poisoned but I think it would have been like I'm gonna change all of them yeah (laughs) As, as opposed to you know it happened over time it happened for me starting with the creation issue which you know I was always told like if you don't believe Genesis literally then you have to throw out the entire Bible and all these things that I don't at all believe now um And when I started to realize, like, the real beauty in the creation narrative is not how taking it literally, but is understanding it how those people it was written to would have understood it, where it's a narrative that was very similar to lots of other ancient creation narratives. The difference being man was created in God's image. What does that mean? Value human life. Like, there is a profound truth that the Israelites would have understood because they were comparing it to the other stories of the day that we lose in trying to prove that dinosaurs and humans walked on the planet at the same time. Like we completely miss the point. Mm. The point is a beautiful point about God's relationship to mankind. And instead we make it about the earth is 6,000 years old. That's sad. Yeah. And so when I, when that changed and my view of the Bible became, I think much more profound, but also much more complex, my view of people became more complex and nuanced and I think that that's a really important place to be but if you're dealing with somebody who's not there the best thing you can do is to just be their friend because if all you have to talk about is your political agenda or your sexual orientation or even your religion you're pretty boring person (laughs) amen I'm sure you can find something to relate to someone who comes from a completely different place and this goes for christians and you know more progressive people who or non-religious people like it has to happen from both sides yeah it's funny too because a couple of my trolls (laughs) have said you should be telling people to repent you need to be telling people to you know walk away from the air of their ways and my response i try to respond very kindly and lovingly towards everybody because i remember being in that mindset and i'm actually completely sympathetic to it I get it because they are like you said protecting the moral fabric of humanity and we think it's the best way to do it this way but um friendship really is it I love that you said that because my whole thing was like you can't scream people into salvation you can't scream people into your political view or you know your sexual identity that will never work it's just like just chill Go have a drink, go grab a coffee, talk about childhood, talk about other things, befriend each other genuinely and see where you each land eventually if those other topics come up. Wait, but friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
I know. I know. Like, how do you Is respond that to that? in the Bible? James 4.4. 4. There you go. See, and that's where I get into, like, But my... it's too... That's written to adulterers and adulteresses. Right. What's the whole verse? Ye adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> Using King James that's here. That's us. <laughs> <laughs> know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God whatsoever, uh, therefore... Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So, Joe, were you taught to read that as inerrant scripture written directly by God? Yes. I was too, yeah. So was I. The word of God is purified seven times. That's why we use the King James Version. <laughs> I was The I was, King my, James Version is the worst version of the Bible because yeah, it's my, translated from the Latin Vulgate and not from the direct manuscript. So don't read the King James Version. <laughs> but see, we had a whole but you gymnastics have, for why we did it because <laughs> that our manuscript came out of Antioch instead of the Alexandria in Egypt, right. which is the two manuscripts. You know, it's like, oh, there was a, yeah. I don't believe that anymore. Right. In fact, I don't believe probably any of this anymore right just just so, so you're allowed just to so the listeners are, you're, you're allowed no that's that's like a perfectly reasonable i was there for a while and yeah. you know um brenda's channel is encouraging for me to just be like oh like i'm not the only one who has like a complex theology because i do not view scripture as inerrant and I take a very you know historical metaphorical approach to scripture of like I want to understand this based on how the people of the time would have understood it. That is not as easy as just reading it and being like, oh, okay, like this must mean. <sighs> no, yeah, I'm so overwhelmed. I want to know that yeah, too. Yeah, it's so, it, it's a lot more work, but it's ultimately like that's how you can understand what is pr- really profound there too. The other thing is, um, oh gosh, I think it's Marcus Borg. I should look it up, but there's an author who wrote Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. Oh yeah, I just and bought the, that. And the subtitle is... Um, reading taking the bible seriously but not literally and i like this was like a bargain bin book at barnes and noble that i picked up completely rocked my world right because Mm -hmm. in it the author talks about how you can either view scripture as written by god using men as a vessel or you can view scripture as written by men based on their experience with god and if you take the second approach then when um timothy says women are not allowed to speak in church or, um, you know, something similar, you can view that as, okay, well, that's what the author of that letter thought. And you don't have to take it. And of course, that gets into, you know, many of my Calvinist friends would say, you're just trying to make the Bible be what you want it to be. But I truly believe like that is how I've been able to have a relationship with God. And it's not as easy as just reading the Bible in English. ignoring all nuance that was present in it, how it was written and going on my merry way. Well, how do you stay quote unquote safe in your theology or in your Christianity? If you're willing to take a scripture and be like, Oh, but that was someone's opinion. Well, who says the theology was ever supposed to be safe? I love that. These were very radical ideas at the time. Jesus was like really radical. Okay. Mm -hmm. So expand on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the way he treated um, Samaritans, the way he treated sinners, the way he. He skateboarded. He was a skater. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not in the Bible. Um, That's in the Message Bible. That's in First Joe. (laughs) He would have. He totally would have, though. I think he would have. Yeah. We all have our own. I'm like, well, yes. And he was also hot. With long, like, <laughs> flowing black hair and dark skin. Every yeah. man I've dated looks somewhat like my perception of Jesus. <laughs> we, we'll psychoanalyze that at a later date. Yeah. 
Uh, She's staying with me the weekends. We have all weekends. Tune in next time (laughs) when Sarah interviews Brenda about her Jesus fetish. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) um, No, but I think that that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Yes. And for me, having come from a very scripture heavy um, childhood where it was like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. (laughs) It was the Trinity, right? Love that. And a very like specific view of scripture versus then being in environments where it was like all Holy Spirit all the time and I was told because I didn't speak in tongues that I was going to hell when I didn't even think that their perception of what speaking in tongues meant was accurate. It was like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit stuff is nutty. And then I was like, well, then I don't know how to... No, I think when you have both, you can have a nuanced view of scripture and trust that you know the Holy Spirit will guide you. And here's the other thing. I do not believe that God really cares if we get some theology wrong. Amen. Look at Abraham. All right. He was coming from a, um, um, it starts Polytheism. With Polytheistic. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> See, he can be useful. Uh, <laughs> um, he came from a polytheistic culture. He probably believed in multiple gods prior to God speaking to him and telling him to move his family across this vast land to the promised land. Um, God, Abraham didn't like wait to understand like who this God was. We don't even know if he, he immediately was like, oh, you're the only God. He just obeyed and he just had faith and nowhere in scripture does it suggest that his understanding of God was perfect. Romans one talks about how, um, because of nature, because of the heavens and stars, men are without excuse, not because of the Bible and because of revealed scripture, you have no excuse, but no, just because of your experience with nature, you know, there's a higher power Mm. that is much more vague than this. Like you have to proclaim the name of Jesus, which is not even his, original name it was yeshua like it's like we 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 get bogged down in the weeds and we we somehow don't give god enough credit we don't give god's grace enough credit to realize like if you get some things wrong it's probably okay yeah like that's what grace is for and if you're sincere in your pursuit of truth you'll get there you might not even get there in this lifetime but that's okay And um, I wish that that had been the perspective that I was raised in because it's so freeing to be like, okay, like me and my tiny human brain is not probably meant to perfectly comprehend the God of the universe. And maybe I should stop freaking out about trying to do so. Yeah. I love that. That's a really good conclusion, I feel. Does anyone have any last thoughts? No, I completely uh, agree with that. Uh, I know. I think it's really a lot of us said. like beat ourselves up a lot uh, trying to uh, uh, figure out how to make our life align with this uh, book perfectly. When um, now I look at the Bible, and now I, you know, I have serious doubts, but now I'm like, this is a wonderful collection of historical writings that we can learn a lot from and still be inspired by. And I like what Josh Simpson said last week. He said, embrace wonder and not knowing. And I think that's a huge part of it, Mm. too. You're just if you remain in a state of awe, like the Psalms would tell us to do and just it's so much more challenging than just being able to open the Bible and be like, well, it says women have to wear head coverings. So and that's the funny thing, too, is like, let's be honest, the American church will read sections literally (laughs) where it's like. You women can't speak in church, but then when it talks about women not braiding their hair or wearing gold earrings, we're like, ah, eh, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's no. like maybe 
we should take that up like that nuanced approach with all of scripture instead of assuming that we get it upon first glance um the final thing i would say is this we focus on um sins like homosexuality if you believe that's a sin i have mixed, i don't mixed views on that whole Zero. thing yeah, but but people they they call that out of scripture and that it becomes this big political movement against gay marriage and um, as a, it's just a good example in our culture right now. Well, you know, the sin that's mentioned more times than anything else in the Bible is pride. Hmm. And so I think in any of these discussions, the bottom line is like, if you call yourself a Christian, then no matter where you fall on the, the spectrum of theology, you have to come at it humbly and recognize that you're not going to have all the answers and stop presenting yourself as somebody who will because if you are you're committing a sin that's far more grievous it appears in god's eyes than the ones that you're harping against so i love it i love it well thank you sarah hartland that was wonderful thank you joe hartzler you know i i have actually come away from this uh conversation believing that i am a prophet (laughs) (laughs) everyone is for more listen to the prophecy with joe hartzler Yeah, that's my message to the earth. All right, well, we're going to go, and um, Joe's going to teach us women how to read the Bible. Oh, my God. I should have never <laughs> said anything. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Thanks for having me, Brenda. No, thank you so much. Thank you to you both. Thank you for everyone listening. I love you guys. God bless.